built the same. Not all begin with an open opening soliloquy of some sort, of a felt need that draws you into three points and a conclusion. That's very rare that that happens here if you're a first time with us. We just kind of drop right in the Word of God where we left off last week and we keep going. And if you're new with us this morning, wow, you have, uh, you're dropping into one of the uh, richest sections in all of Old Testament biblical prophecy, that of Daniel chapter 9, 26 and 27. But I also need you to know this morning, I'm going to give a very high view of several key events that will mark the end of this present age. We're going to just kind of have a high view of some of those events this morning and uh, that those uh, events that are going to then usher in what we refer to as the age to come, the age of Christ and his kingdom. So I'm expecting probably over the next couple of weeks, maybe a few excursus sermons, uh, perhaps to express the purpose and clarification of those said events that will help usher in the age to come. Now to recap briefly, and this is going to be the fastest recap, recap you've heard me give of Daniel 9 yet, is it Daniel, and so I want you to know Daniel, right? Repetition is a key to learning, and we need to know Daniel, and in particular, well, 2, 4, 7, and 9, 8, eight 9. We just need to know Daniel. Um, but in chapter 9, Daniel's been praying for the restoration of God's fortunes in favor for Jerusalem and the temple. Gabriel tells Daniel that God has decreed 77s, that's 70 weeks of years, or 490 years, until six significant things happen both to and for the nation of Israel and its Jewish people, <clears throat> which, as we discussed, have, have their already not yet fulfillments in both the first advent and second advent of Jesus the Christ. Now, if that doesn't make a lot of sense to you this morning, you're going to need to go back and re-listen to the Daniel 9 sermons, plural. I don't have time to recap a lot of the things that we've covered in the past. But in verse 25, Gabriel tells Daniel that out of those 70 weeks of years, that the first thing that would be made self-evident following the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem would be the rebuilding of Jerusalem. And that, <coughs> within the span <coughs> of the first seven weeks of years, and then following that, we see there's another segment of time demarcated, which was 62 weeks of years. And in that 62 weeks of years, within the span of the, the next 62 weeks of years, something significant would happen <coughs> to one called Messiah, the Prince. And specifically in verse 26, we saw what specifically would happen would be his cutting off, meaning that he was going to be killed as a common criminal and then... It said at the end of verse 26 that he would have nothing. So, if perhaps that's not ringing a bell, let me encourage you again to go back to the Jinx Bible Church's YouTube channel, and you can watch all of that. But what we discovered in Daniel 20, uh, 25, verse 25, in a summation, you ready for the summation? <laughs> Is that the first 69 weeks of years, or... 483 years, which would be the 69 weeks, or 173,880 days, somebody was counting. Uh, to the very day, uh, we discovered in two different ways, was 
March the 27th of 33 AD, the day on which Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the foal of a colt as Israel's long-awaited Messiah King. And after that, the text says, after those 69 weeks of years, he was cut off, executed as a common criminal, just like Daniel 9, 25 through 26 said would happen of Jesus, our Messiah Prince. So again, if you missed last week, you truly missed a lot. Uh, for those of you who are here, you can say amen. Come on, y'all need to go back through that? Please. That was a lot. Amen. That was a lot. Thank you, Royce. I feel encouraged now. It wasn't for naught. So this morning, we're going to pick up in verse 26 where we left off last week and look again at 26. And remember, as we get there, it's after what's going to happen after the 69 weeks. The fullness of 69 weeks takes place. And after that, what does it say in 26? I keep highlighting this word after because it lets us know that there's been a completion. of It, it says here the 62 weeks. But if you remember, it was first mentioned the seven weeks and the 62 weeks. And so by the time you get here, at the 62 weeks is mentioned second. So after the completion of those 62 weeks, which in total would be the 69 weeks, and it's again, it's after these things, this is what happens to Messiah. He's cut off, he's killed as a common criminal, and will have nothing. Well... How do we say that Messiah, if this is Messiah, Jesus the Messiah, is cut off and he has nothing? After all, when you go through the New Testament scriptures, it sure seems like he has a lot. He's accomplished a whole lot, right? Does it not? And I thought about delineating on that, but I knew that time was already short to begin with, so I opted not to delineate on the many things that were accomplished at the cross of Calvary that would maybe beg to differ that he was cut off and would have Nothing, but yet the text says that will be cut off and have nothing. So we need to think about this in a very most simplistic way, which when we do, I think we see that the clear expectation from Daniel's perspective regarding the previous prophecy that Daniel had been given in chapter 2, chapter 4, chapter 7, is that of a coming eternal kingdom of God in which the people of God would dwell in forever and experience everlasting righteousness. We see this most clearly in Daniel chapter 7 because from Dan Daniel 2 to 4 to 7, there was a bit of progressive revelation in each one of those as it's rendered to us, as it was rendered to Daniel. As we see when we get to chapter 9, there's even more progressive revelation that Gabriel brings to Daniel. But we see this expectation that Daniel would have had very clearly in Daniel chapter 7, that of a God's people dwelling in a kingdom, experiencing everlasting righteousness. Notice Daniel 7, 3 through 14. In, in that prophecy, Daniel says, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming, and he came up to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, that all the people's nations and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be 
destroyed. It's here in Daniel 7 that we're first given insight into a revelation that we saw first in Daniel chapter 2, that of a stone, or I sometimes refer to it as the rock. And that that stone in Daniel chapter 2, that rock of Jesus Christ, is a person. It's a personage. It's not just some rock that was cut out without hands. It was actually a person who's going to come and destroy the powers of man. And here in Daniel 7, it's referred to as one like a son of man. And he was presented before the Ancient of Days, which in this text, and you'll have to go back to the Daniel 7 series, and that in itself I called it a series because, boy, were we in Daniel 7 for some time, right? Amen. Okay. Um, but you'd need to go back. But So the Ancient of Days is in reference to God, the, the eternal God, God the Father. And the Son of Man is a reference to Jesus Christ. We see very clearly that articulated in the Gospel of Matthew, the uh, the, the, the terminology, the Son of Man with reference to Jesus Christ throughout the book, book of Matthew is everywhere. And so here we see a preview of that one like a Son of Man who comes before the Ancient of Days, God the Father. Again, a clear reference to the eternal God. And it's the Son of Man who's presented something that's namely, uh, it's called uh, dominion, glory. And the one word I did underline along the way here was, and a kingdom. These were things that were presented to the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, from God the Father, the Ancient of Days. And at the end of verse 14, at the end of verse 14 here, we see that this kingdom of his is one that will not be destroyed. I just took the words right off the page. Will not, will not be destroyed. Okay? So, Daniel's expectations in his praying in chapter 9 is when he went to God the Father in prayer his obvious expectations uh, would be that of a coming kingdom because it had been made mention of in chapter 2 chapter 4 and chapter 7 and made reference to in chapter 9 and Daniel's praying that that would come remember specifically I want to show you how Daniel um, kind of converges these concepts together. Notice with me in Daniel chapter 9. These concepts of the temple of God and the city of Jerusalem with that eternal kingdom of God that's going to come. Notice how Daniel does this in Daniel 9, 7, verse 17 through 19. It says, so now our God, listen to the prayer of your servant. This is Daniel praying. Let your face shine on your desolate sanctuary. That would be the temple in Jerusalem. Let your face shine on it, God. Open your eyes, verse 18, and see our desolations and the city, that would be Jerusalem, which is called by your name. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen. And, what's it say? Take action. Take action on behalf of your desolate sanctuary. And on behalf of Jerusalem, the city that's called by your name. And don't do it for Daniel's sake, he says, but for your own sake. Oh my God, do not delay because your city, Jerusalem, and your people, the nation of Israel, are called by your name. Which, as we see in verse 20, I'm going to kind of shrink those two passages up. That's 17 through 19. When you get to verse 20, we see... Uh, Daniel conflates both of these ideas of God's sanctuary and his city as being uh, the holy mountain of God. Notice verse 20. 
Now, while I was speaking and praying and confessing, which we just saw that Daniel was doing, is praying and he was making confession. So while I was doing that and confessing sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before, notice how he says this, before the Lord, my God, in behalf of the holy mountain of my God. So from verse 17, 917, all the way down through 920, we see the sanctuary, we see the city, your city, your people, and we see that Daniel kind of converges this concept that he's been praying for on behalf of the holy mountain. There's something here, there's a convergence, it seems, that goes on within these four verses with regard to the sanctuary and the city. Somehow, Daniel's converged that down to being a holy mountain of God. How did Daniel perhaps come up with that concept? And that's where I go back to the dream of Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 2, verse 35, where it says, but the stone that's personage became real in chapter 7, the son of man. The stone wasn't just an actual rock, it's a person that struck the statue, that statue that represented the powers of man in chapter 2. So Jesus Christ is going to come back at his second advent. He's going to strike, strike the nations of man. But notice what it says. Here's what I'm most in particular interested in. That that stone became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. So when we go back here and we see, now this is chapter 2, so when we get to chapter 9, we're talking about Daniel's expectations and what does it mean that when Messiah was cut off, he had nothing because from a gospel perspective and the ingathering of people through the preaching of the word, there was a whole lot that was gained by means of that. So how could the text say he was cut off and have nothing? What could that nothing be? other than perhaps the expectation that Daniel himself had. And so Gabriel came and kind of had to do another progressive revelation thing on Daniel and help reset some of his expectations as to the timing of when chapter 2, chapter 4, chapter 7, and that incoming kingdom was going to take place. And we see Daniel here in this prayer converging those concepts of the holy sanctuary, the desolate sanctuary, the temple, and Jerusalem, the city, as being this holy mountain that I believe he got from Daniel chapter 2 himself. So it seems that the prophetic voice spoken by Gabriel to Daniel in Daniel 9.26 is a clear indication that following the 69 weeks, after the 69 weeks and the cutting off of Messiah, that that prophetic expectation of the eternal kingdom of God was going to be on hold. Because as the prophetic word said, here again, look at verse 26. After the six, completion of the 69 weeks, Messiah, Messiah is presented as king, Messiah king to the nation of Israel. And after that, on that same week that happened on a Sunday, on Friday, he's crucified, he's cut off, and will have nothing. The have nothing, it seems to be a direct and clear reference to the anticipated coming eternal kingdom of God as revealed in Daniel 2, 4, 7, and chapter 9. And as a matter of fact, um, part of the new revelation from Gabriel is informing Daniel that that, that rebuilt city and temple that happens after the first seven weeks of years at the hand of Nehemiah um, after those 69 weeks of years that 
that restoration work uh, will be destroyed. Notice the very end of verse 26. I mean, it seems from Daniel's perspective that things are just going from bad to worse, right? Daniel's all pumped up. He's like, he got his nose in the book of Jeremiah. He sees 70 years have been decreed. He's praying, yes, Lord, we're right there. Cause your face to shine upon your desolate sanctuary and your city. Daniel could see the, res- the restoration and the building of that and the, and the coming in of the holy mountain of God that would smash the powers of man and, it would, and, and his kingdom would rule and reign forever. And ever and ever. Notice the end of 26. Then after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off, have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. And its end will come with a flood, meaning quickly. Even to the end, there will be war. Desolations are determined. So again, from Daniel's point of view, things went from bad to worse. And after the 62 weeks of years, meaning the total of 69 weeks, the 480 years, it says that the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary and would do it like a flood very quickly. And that from that point until the end, there would be war, desolations are determined. Now, we see here in verse 26 a reference to... Uh, the prince who is to come. And in particular, it's going to be the people of the prince who is to come who's going to destroy the city and the sanctuary. The very place that Daniel was praying for restoration and a rebuilding and conflating that with the holy mountain of God that would be an eternal kingdom that would be ushered in. And from Daniel's perspective, these people... These people and this prince who are to come were both in his future. But from our perspective, we know them as past historical figures. Because one thing we know from history is that after the 69 weeks of years, in AD 70, the prince or ruler, another appropriate translation for prince could be ruler, the ruler Titus and the Roman army, many of whom were made up of Arab mercenaries, according to the historian Josephus, did in fact destroy the city of Jerusalem and the sanctuary. And like the text says, it was done very quickly, likened unto a flood. Now, it's 11.11. I'm still good. Now, I want to show you a passage from Matthew 24 where Jesus makes direct reference to our passage here in Daniel, as well as Daniel 9, verse 27. Notice Matthew 24, oftentimes simply referred to as Jesus' Olivet Discourse. And we're actually going to start back at chapter 23, uh, verse 37, just to give a little bit of context for the passage there in Matthew 24. So notice Matthew 23, 37. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. 
How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. For I say to you, from now on, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In these verses, Jesus is here lamenting over Jerusalem's unwillingness to listen to him and to see that he is truly their God-sent Messiah. And so in verse 39, he tells them that they will see him no more, meaning it's the time of his public teaching has come to an end. And it's at this time in the course of the book of Matthew, we see that Jesus is withdrawing from the nation of Israel. Except, Jesus shows, on the occasion of his triumphal entry into Jerusalem on the back of that donkey in fulfillment of Zechariah 9, 9, which we discovered last week was also in fulfillment of Daniel 9, 25, and 26. 188,330 days to be exact when Jesus was recognized as Israel's Messiah King. So when the nation shouted out from the streets on that glorious day, save now, and then quoted Psalm 118 verse 28, which is what Jesus uses right here when he says, until you say of me, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, uh, Jesus uh, is then, and it almost seems to be a divine act of God, to take a nation that has rejected him. He's lamented over the fact that they would not be gathered unto him as their God-sent Messiah. But on that day, they were laying out their coats and they were shouting, Save now, and blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And it's as if Jesus has an understanding and he's lamenting over the spirit of stupor that God has given this nation, Israel. And it's at this time, in the context of Matthew 23, going into Matthew chapter 24, that Jesus then leaves the temple. So he's in the temple, he's talking with the scribes, the Pharisees, the leaders, and the people. And then in chapter 24, he leaves the sanctuary. And notice chapter 24, verse 1. This is where we get to the Olivet Discourse that actually begins in verse 3. This yet is not part of the Olivet Discourse that begins in verse 3. But Jesus says here in verse 1, it says, well, it says of Jesus, Jesus came out from the temple and was going away when his disciples came up to the point, came up to point out the temple buildings to him. So it's clear the disciples here were not understanding Jesus' statement from verse 38, that their house was being left to them desolate. So let me just slide back here. See right here in verse 38? Jesus made this declaration, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a chin, chin, a hen, a hen, a hen. I was looking at chicks and I said chin, as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But notice verse 38, behold your house is being left to you desolate. And so that statement, it seems to be that which the disciples have picked up on here When we get to chapter 24, verse 1, when his disciples came 
up to point out to him the temple buildings as almost if to say, now you just said that our house was going to be desolate. Do you not see the beautiful temple and the buildings that are surrounding the beautiful temple? How could this be? What are you saying? And so he continues, continues in, in verse 2, and he said to them, Do you not see all these things? And the obvious answer would be, yes, we see all these things. We just pointed them out to you. Truly I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another which will not be torn down. Jesus here confirms what Daniel 9.26 foretold some 500 years earlier of the destruction of the city and its sanctuary, both of which happened in 70 A.D. at the hands of the Roman army. Which lets us know that Jesus understood something, and this is where I'm going to slow down a little bit intentionally to let your thinking cap catch up with me, at least those of you who are still thinking with me. This lets us know that Jesus understood that there was going to be a gap of time between the fulfillment of the 69 weeks of years of Daniel 9, 25, and 26 and between the 70th week of Daniel's weeks of years that we're going to see in Daniel 9, 27. Now think about this with me. Daniel 9, 26 indicates that after the 69 weeks, do I have it? I don't have it yet. Wait, did I already, what did I do here? Did I need to forward that along for you guys? One, two, nope, I'm not there yet. I should have thrown verse 26 back in here for us. So this is why you have your copy of God's word back in Daniel 9:26. okay? It indicates that after the 69 weeks, Messiah will be killed, cut off, have nothing, meaning his earthly kingdom's not going to be established, and that the city and the temple will be destroyed. We saw that in 9.26. Jesus in Matthew 24 confirms this. As we saw um, just last week, I believe it was in last week's sermon, the completion of the 69 weeks, Messiah was cut off, and I gave the most likely date from my perspective. I hope you went and looked into that, which was April 3rd of 33 AD. Because when you back that up, well, never mind. You need to listen to next week's sermon. I'm still impressed by that, by the way. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not over, I'm not over that just quite yet. I'm still living in that just a little bit. So the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple wasn't until 70 A.D., but Jesus' cutting off was in 33 A.D. So if I do some simple math, which we did a whole lot of math last week, but if I do some simple math just on that... Jesus being cut off at 33 A.D. and the temple not being destroyed until 70 A.D. If I do that math, that's about 37 years, I think. I think that's good math. And if Daniel's 70th week was to, was to be consecutive, meaning right on the hills of the 69th week, all of that destruction would have needed to happen within the next seven years, not the next 37 years. That too, that 37 years, that too would be a gap of time of almost some 40 years. So for people who perhaps have a problem with gaps, no matter which theory you may be trying to run down, you're going to have to deal with a gap somewhere. So the question becomes, which gap makes the most sense? 
So the fact that Jesus understood that there was going to be a gap of time between the 69th and 70th week from Matthew 24 is very clear. And it's this gap of time, which I showed you last week from Ephesians 3, that I believe to be the mystery of the church age. Which clearly would have lasted longer than some 40 years had the 70th week just fallen right on the hills of the 69th week. The church age clearly has lasted much longer than that. And another clue that our gap of time is a rather large gap of time existing between the 69th and the 70th week of Daniel is also found in Jesus' teaching in Matthew 24, verse 3. And this is where I have us next. In Matthew 24, 3, notice... It says, and as he was sitting, and this begins the Olivet Discourse because it says, as he was sitting. So what you need to make, a, if, if you've taken notes, you need to make a note right here at verse 3. There is a break, there is a hard break in the timeline between leaving the temple and having the conversation once they step out of the temple and the time when they are then sitting on the Mount of Olives, thus the Olivet Discourse. There's a break there. There's a gap of time. They're leaving the temple. They're asking questions about Jesus. You just said this is our house is going to be left to us desolate. How could that happen? And then he just gives them a direct reference that not one stone here is going to be left upon another. I think Jesus understood Daniel chapter 9, clearly. And then they continue walking. I don't know how long exactly the walk would be because maybe they were talking along the way about that issue. But once they get to the Mount of Olives and they have a seat, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when these things will happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. And this verse 3 has a lot of particular parts in it that we need to have an understanding on. Because Jesus is going to dovetail us from this passage back into the book of Daniel, chapter 9, verse 27. Okay, so he, as, he's, as, he's, uh, as he starts telling them about these things, tell us when these things happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. It seems as we get to verse 4 and we get all the way down through verse 15 and following that the two things in particular that we have talked about in this passage are these two things right here. When will these things happen? What will be the sign of your coming, number one, and number two, and of the end of the age? Those two things seem to be the things that he then gives an answer concerning with regard to their question, tell us when these things happen. As they are now sitting on the Mount of Olives, and previously, as they had just left the temple and experienced quite an, uh, an awful uh, encounter with the scribes and the Pharisees, that's where Jesus lays out his woes. woes. Woe to you, you scribes and you Pharisees. And he just lays out these woes, and then he says, how I would have gathered you in and longed to gather you in, but you would not. And then he says, yep, this temple is going to be torn down stone by stone. They continue walking. They get to the Mount of Olives. They have a seat. The disciples are asking, when will these things take place? And a lot of times there's a convergence. We want to sometimes think, well, maybe he's 
asking the question about what took place in verses 1 and 2. But when you look at the answer, as the answer is laid out from verse 4 and following, it's clear that the answer that Jesus is giving about what will happen when these things happen are these things right here, number 1 and number 2. Just notice the statements of these things regarding the sign of his coming and the end of the age as we continue reading here in verse 4. And Jesus said, and Jesus answered and said to them, See to it that no one misleads you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of war. See that you are not frightened, for those things must take place. But that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation. And kingdom against kingdom. And in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. So he's letting them know things with regard to the signs of his coming and the end of the age. And he says that um, you're going to hear of rumors of war. Daniel 9.26 says that there's going to be desolations to the end. And, but Jesus makes reference not to be frightened when you hear of those things that must take place. It's not yet, not yet, the end. It's not yet the end. Nation's going to rise against nation. So we have nations rising against nations. Which, when we go back to the prophecy of Daniel chapter 7, that's exactly what we see. Nations rising against nations. And the Antichrist, most specifically identified there in Daniel chapter 7, becoming the head over all those world nations through intrigue and war as a result of nation rising against nation, looking for power grabs. And there's a, an ultimate one world leader that emerges from that. And you may remember, again, it's that little horn. And he becomes the dominant power within that one world Government that then, as we see in Daniel chapter 7, rises up against the kingdom of God. And the Ancient of Days shows up and gives victory. And the kingdom is handed over to the saints of God, most high. Yeah, we win forever and ever. This is what he's talking about. There's going to be a time, Jesus is saying, that the nations are still going to be rising up against nations and kingdom against kingdom. And in various places, there will be famines and earthquakes. We've seen that for a long time. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. It's going to be bad as the Antichrist and the nations are warring against each other. You're going to have to go back to listen to Daniel 7. I'm trying to dovetail myself back in there, but I'm resisting really hard because I'm already out of time. And I'm trying to find a, a good landing spot here, Roy, since getting a little difficult here so y'all keep bearing with me you want a little bit more I've got to give you a little bit more just bear with me we're almost at a place where I can I can cut off cut off that's a bad use of cut off right there bring to an end I don't want to kill the sermon I want to just bring it to an end briefly and we'll pick it back up next week I pause these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs so as bad as it is it's not the worst yet then in verse 9, they will deliver you to tribulation. And perhaps you remember when we were going through Daniel chapter 7, I, I 
there were times that I brought us over and I brought this passage, Matthew 24, 9, into the time of the persecution of the Antichrist against the saints of the Most High. I don't have time to re-give that entire sermon, but you need to keep this in mind. So this is the time that the saints of God, the people of God, are going to be delivered to tribulation. And notice it gets really bad. They will kill you, and you will be hated by who? By all nations that are under the governance of the one world ruler, the Antichrist. All those nations are going to hate the people of God because they are going to be the ones, the true ones, who are going to actually not take that leader's mark. And one of the ways that leader is planning to, in his mind, I guess using biblical terminology, separate the sheep from the goats, he's interested in the sheep because he wants to destroy the sheep is the establishment of that mark of that beast. Remember, they were beast images, the mark of that ruler, in order probably to do everything, make purchases, possess goods, own land, have transportation. So he's coming after us, the true saints of God. But notice right here in verse 10, it's at that time there's going to be a great apostasy. Many will fall away. It's going to be very unpopular to be identified as a Christ follower in those days. It's going to be extremely unpopular. As a matter of fact, it's going to probably cost you your life if you hang, strong, if you hang tough. But, like the Apostle Paul said in the book of Thessalonians, there's going to be, before the great coming day of the Lord, there's going to be a great apostasy first. And this is what Jesus makes reference to here. that The great tribulation of the Antichrist gets really bad. There's going to be a great apostasy and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and be misled because lawlessness has increased. Most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, which might mean the giving of your life, but it's only the end of this life. There's life eternal. Biblical worldview, right? Life with God forever in, in the heavens, his eternal kingdom, when that gets established, or in hell apart from him forever and ever and ever. So it's just, it, it, you've got to endure, you've got to hang on. If you go and you read in the book of Revelation to all the seven churches, there's a call for every one of them to those who persevere will be granted to eat of the fruit from the tree of life which is in the garden of God. That's one example. This need for perseverance. So God's people who endure to the end will be saved. There's going to be a great apostasy. Don't let that happen to you. And notice in verse 14, This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then, and then, and then the end will come. And this verse 14 right here is why I believe that Jesus really views and understands that that gap of time is going to be a, a rather lengthy gap of time. Because in that gap, in that church, church age, as the Apostle Paul we looked at in Ephesians 3 last week, in Matthew 24, 14, Jesus is saying that, that the gospel, his gospel, is a gospel of a kingdom, of a coming kingdom. It's going to have to be preached in the entirety of the world as a testimony to all the nations. And then that 
end will come. And this is where we end this morning. Jesus bringing us right back to Daniel. Look at verse 15. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation which was spoken of through Daniel, the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Jesus takes us all the way back to the prophecy of Daniel. And next week, we as the readers are going to try to have greater understanding of how Jesus was using this. And this is going to take us right back into Daniel, verse 27, the 70th week of Daniel. And that's where we're going to have to pick up next week. Unfortunately, I'm out of time. I could do this all day long. I don't know about you, but the Word of God is a sustaining source of life. So might these truths be that which will be an encouragement of your soul this week and every week to continue enduring, enduring. Now, you haven't started being handed over and delivered yet, so I'm, I'm kind of pulling off of this. This is going to be in that time. But even now, while we are awaiting those days, go see the sermon series in Daniel chapter 7. Let's continue to endure as God's children. Amen? Do people need the Lord? People need the Lord. People need to hear, verse 14, the preaching, right here, the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom of King Jesus. Because as Paul said in Romans 11, when the last Gentile comes in, then all Israel will be saved. Then the end's going to come. We're going to be bringing a lot of these passages together next week. Isn't it amazing when we see how the word of God fits like a hand in a glove? It's so tight and so exacting. So I pray that we've been encouraged by this, encouraged to let our light shine and to preach this gospel everywhere we go because people need the Lord. Let's pray.